0: Welcome everyone, and for those of you that just arrived, I'm Wendy Wick-Reeves, I'm Curator of Prints and Drawings. Here at the Portrait Gallery, we've seen a lot of painted portraits of Bill Clinton. And we've realized that this is a man whose likenesses actually can be sort of challenging to get. One of the, pro- the challenges that portrait painters have faced is that when Bill Clinton had his heart surgery in 2004, he lost a lot of weight. And this of course changes the visual relationship between the head, which in his case is quite large, and the body. So a lot of portrait painters who painted him as he actually looked produced portraits that really did not match our mental image of the former president. So I just mention all of this because I was struck by the fact that when I first saw this portrait of Bill Clinton by Chuck Close, which is on loan to us for the rest of the year, I came at it from the side as coming around the corner, and although it is very large and really very abstract, I instantly recognized it as Clinton, which I think is quite quite a fascinating aspect of this portrait because as you stand close to it, where I am right at the moment, what you see is something um, very abstract, these squared off diamond-shaped units filled with exuberant color, and um, I think what what Close is doing here is, uh, well, one word that Close sometimes uses is Dignagian from Gulliver's Travels, and if you think of yourself as one of those Lilliputians climbing up the giant's face, this kind of replicates that experience of being too close, of seeing the details and not seeing the whole, which is actually quite impossible from that close up. So one of the things that's always fun about this is seeing how far you have to back up before these absurd shapes um, start to resolve themselves as teeth and eyes. What we're seeing from close up are hot dogs and donuts and lozenges of exuberant color. Quite wonderful. Close first met the president in 1996. He photographed him. He then photographed him again for the cover of New York Magazine in 2005. The two men really hit it off. Close was very struck by Clinton's charisma and he noted this intensity about Clinton. As he said, in Close's words, he has an almost, when Clinton looks you in the eye, he has an almost laser beam like lock thing that he does. (laughs) And this intensity was something that Close loved and really wanted to capture. When Close decided to blow his photograph up into one of these gargantuan paintings, he wanted uh, Clinton's approval. And, in fact, he did get his blessing to make this painting. Now, of course, Close, himself, paints close up. He is right next to the canvas as he is proceeding. And I'm sure you probably know that the artist, in 1988, suffered a spinal artery collapse, which left him quite paralyzed. He is wheelchair-bound. He paints with a brush strapped to his wrist. He has a special easel that goes up and down and also tilts from side to side. and that remar- But that remarkable story of rehabilitation and return to art making is, has been long since told. Um, he's, he's been doing this for decades now. I think what's fascinating to me to think about perhaps are other challenges that Close has dealt with his entire life. He was, and maybe some of you know this, he suffered from pretty severe dyslexia since childhood. So he had to find alternate methods for learning and trying to reduce information into smaller sizes that he could cope with. Um, He has, he developed a very methodical, painstaking approach to, um, to learning. And I think these experiences really do help explain a lot of his approach, a lot of the attributes of his art. His focus on something small in the service of something larger. His refusal to take the easy way out. His constant experimentation. His forcing himself to meet a challenge all of his innovation, I think all of these attributes may perhaps be rooted in the experience of coping with learning disabilities all through his life. But there's another challenge that is, I think has an interesting resonance to the kind of pictures that Close makes. Close suffers from something that is popularly known as face blindness, prosopagnosia, I think is the medical term. You see why I have to have my notes here. And the people who suffer from this have an inability to recognize faces. As one person uh, mentioned, if you turn your face one inch to the right, I see a whole different face. So some people cannot recognize the face of a family member. In some extreme cases, they can't even recognize their, their own face. One bearded gentleman talks rather humorously about being out uh, shopping or something, and he passes a mirror, and he decides to preen his beard. And he's looking at the mirror, preening his beard, and realizing that the bearded gentleman in the mirror isn't preening his beard. <laughs> and he realizes he's looking through a window at another bearded gentleman, and he can't, couldn't even recognize his own face. Close is not quite that extreme a degree, but um, he, does, and he does talk about this quite openly. There's also a new biography of Chuck Close by Christopher Finch that came out last year that I can recommend to you. Um, so you can get this, this interview where he talks about, about this condition online. It's really very interesting. Um, but I think it's quite fascinating that because of this situation, Close decided to focus his entire career on faces. Ultimately, he figured out that if he reduced faces to two dimensions, that he could learn them better. So part of this was a technique for him to learn faces. So what he did from from the earliest time that he started doing these portraits is to take photographs uh, of his friends, a very simple frontal mugshot, passport type of photograph. He would grid that photograph and then he would transfer those bits of information from each grid onto a very enlarged canvas. So, this was his process. Um, and remember, I mentioned the tilting easel. In this case, although the, sh- the units are diamond shaped, he could actually tilt that painting. So, he was actually painting across like this in squares just transferring that information. And his ability to then translate the color density of that gridded photograph into paint is really an extraordinary accomplishment. But I'd like us to just step back for a minute and think about what all that meant in the 1960s. At that point, portrait painting, conventional, traditional portrait painting, was really out of fashion for the avant-garde. Um, Everybody was, the art world was much more focused on abstract expressionism, on minimalism, on the beginnings of performance art. Portrait painting was really out of fashion. But when the very influential critic, Clement Greenberg, said, and I have another quote here, um, that the one thing you cannot do in art is to paint a portrait. Then Close, young man at the time, said, forget it, except he said it much more colorfully than that, I'm going to find a way to do it. So that was his challenge to himself. He knew he was being transgressive in taking up portraiture. In fact, one of my favorite quotes of his, is because it so defines the challenge of portraiture at this time period, was when he said that the dumbest, most moribund, out-of-date, and shopworn of possible things you could do was to make a portrait. Nonetheless, that's what he decides to do. And um, he had, of course, always marched to his own drummer, always set himself challenges. So in a way, this is very characteristic of of the person that he had grown to be. And he knew the work of Alex Katz and Andy Warhol and Philip Pearlstein, artists that he said had really kicked the door open to an intelligent, forward-looking kind of figuration. So this is what he was trying to do. And what they were all trying to do as they reinvented and reinvigorated portrait traditions was to be very detached. They wanted their pictures to be content free. No biography, no narrative, no sentiment, no psychological probing, which had been a part of portraiture for so long. And certainly the colossal size helps helps them attain this kind of feeling and certainly, that sort of focus on the unit and the process is part of that as well. Um, Close was in very much a part of his time in that time period. He was inspired by these huge canvases of abstract expressionism. He was inspired by that all-overness, by that surface pattern, by that lack of hierarchy, no one area being more important than any other. So he's absorbing all of these ideas from the artists of his contemporary world in the 60s. But I think what's so interesting is that he has remained so innovative and he seems just as much a towering figure to our art world today as he did then. And it's a very different art world in some respects. Think of, for instance, the whole notion of photography. In the 60s, photography was very low in the hierarchy of um, of art forms, and so the idea of copying a photograph into a painting was absolutely unheard of. And the whole notion of, ph- of photography as we understand it is really different now than it was then. The renowned art historian Kirk Varnedoe had a very interesting way of, of phrasing this. Um, when he was saying, for a generation of us born, say, after 1980, Um, there's a whole different sort of visual relationship to photography. First of all, everyone understood that photography was malleable. It could lie. It could be changed and, and manipulated. It could be inconclusive. And secondly, they naturally read grids of bits as the basic matrix of fact. And the face of reality, Barnado pointed out, looks fractal. And I think that's a wonderful phrase by which he's trying to say that a new generation has a different field of vision in a sense and and really sees reality and photography in this this digital sort of form. And so I think that um, that adds sort of an extra layer of interest to this perceptual tension that Close has always had between the very small unit and the coherent whole. And finally I think we should I should point out that Close does not usually paint celebrities. He he typically would paint his friends. Um, It wasn't his fault that they grew up to be famous composers and artists, almost all of them. Um, But he really meant them to be very anonymous. And so I think here it's it's kind of unusual for him and wonderful for us that in this case he has chosen a public figure and a presidential figure. He does not mean to glamorize Clinton in any way particularly. In fact, he close admits that there's something a little goofy about all these peculiar shapes that he's put in here. But I think what what this picture says to me is something very clearly about the wonderful vibes between these two men. There's something extraordinarily cheerful and positive about the colors. And I think, in the, I think what it really, I would conclude is that it's really a very celebratory picture. Any questions? Anybody else's feelings about what this painting does or says? Yeah. We actually have a number of of Clinton paintings that we've um, circulated around. Uh, We like to keep things sort of fresh, so we change them out once in a while. I I don't know which one you were thinking about. The the very, very large one. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, that was one that I think we had up for a number of years, and we rotated it with some others that we had. So it's we still have it. It'll be back up eventually. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. How the current owners get this portrait? I don't well, know how the current owner, the person who's lending it to us, got this portrait. I don't know the answer to that. It wasn't commissioned. No, it was Close's idea to paint, the, to do the painting. And he doesn't typically accept commissions. So they, the, the owners must have bought it from him, but I don't know how that, how that transpired. Anyone have some thoughts? Yeah. Uh, well, just more technical. Uh, this, is, this is based on the 96, the 05. Photo. This is based on the 05 photograph. Okay. Now if you really back way, way up, or you look at a smaller size version of this, the face actually does look a little thinner than, than the sort of mental image we have of the, of the president. Uh-huh. And do uh, we know what thought of the finished portrait? Uh, Close was interviewed in 2007 about this painting, and at that point he didn't think the president had seen it. Okay. So I don't know whether the president has actually seen it or not. It would be very interesting to know. I'd love to see a companion portrait
1: of Hillary. Of <laughs> Hillary!
0: <laughs> <laughs> that would be very interesting. wasn't honestly too familiar with Chuck Close before. So uh-huh. his and could you describe any more about how like after he's paralyzed? Like he doesn't have use of his hands, so it's just it's a remarkable story. You should you should learn more about it. Um, it was an amazing rehabilitation effort, um, obviously completely devastating um, psychologically and physically in every other way. But he was able to um, work himself back into um some sort of form. He could, he could move his arm, not his fingers, but his arm. And um, he, he is wheelchair-bound, but he had this special easel made. I think it can actually go down into the floor and up and tilting side to side. And I think he, he, he has studio assistants that help him, but he actually paints. He actually does some of the painting. He doesn't use the computer for all of this transferring. He does not use a computer for this. He's just got it in his head. He's a very, very brilliant mind to go along with this kind of inspiration. And like, so like, he's got like a paintbrush attached to his arm? and just Strapped to his arm. And can, can one tell based on the quality of the design the painting done before or after his process? I think people have tried to tell, but most art historians and connoisseurs don't really feel that it's valid. That, and and if he's also a relentless experimenter. He's also a photographer. He does daguerreotypes. Um, he does extraordinary kinds of printmaking. He, um, we've had on, on view, maybe some of you remember, cast paper pieces that are actually made from, from paper pulp poured into little grids. So he's, a, he's really an extraordinary experimenter. Um, you should read more about him. Fascinating. And this biography is also great, this biography by Christopher Finch. So, well, any other questions? Well, thank you all for coming. Extra points for being out tonight.